Greetings everyone, Stephen Gray here again. You are, I'm sure you are aware, either watching this on the Stephen Gray Vision YouTube channel or you are listening to it on anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm, uh, and the spin-offs that that goes to like Spotify, iTunes, and a couple of other sources. This is, I'm not keeping an exact count, I think this is uh, episode 14, I haven't been numbering them exactly, uh, so there are something like 13 previous interviews with leading figures in the psychedelic world, so to speak, uh, such as Wade Davis, Paul Stamets, Dennis McKenna, Francoise Bourza, and a number of others. So I hope you'll check out some of those. And uh, the purpose of these, uh, the mission, you might say, is to help people, help humanity come to terms with the fact that we are not on a sustainable trajectory. And that's putting it mildly. And there's a very good chance that that is coming to a somewhat fiery uh, end in the relatively near future. And there's a great need for a consciousness transformation spreading around as far as it can go. That is the essential purpose of these, uh, of this series of interviews. And I would say for anyone who cares the work altogether. So on that note, I'm very pleased to be uh, interviewing a young man that uh, I think is doing some excellent work uh, related to, psych uh, no, I was going to say psychedelic mushrooms or psilocybin mushrooms, but not just the psilocybin ones by any stretch. And that other kind of work I'm going to be asking Alex Dore about, but I'm first going to uh, read a short bio, which if you've been watching these uh, interviews, uh, you know I like to do at the beginning. So... Here goes. Alex Dore is the founder, president, and CEO of Mushroom Revival Incorporated. He resides in Austin, Texas with his loving partner. I meant to ask you, Alex, how to pronounce that, so I'll just take a shot at it. Lyra Nymackle. Nymackle, but you can correct Nymackle. Nymackle. Okay, cool. Is it Lyra? It's Lyra, yeah. Okay, cool. Who co-hosts the Mushroom Revival podcast with them. After healing his depression, anxiety, and Lyme disease with mushroom, Alex got his degree in mycology and is the author of the book Mycoremediation Handbook, a grassroots guide to growing mushrooms and cleaning up toxic waste with fungi, or fungi. Paul Stamets says there is no accurate pronunciation for that word. That book came out in 2017. He led the growth of the largest and first certified organic Cordyceps militaris mushroom farm in in the Americas. Um, Alex is an international educator and researcher on mycology, teaching and conducting research all around the world in places such as China, Peru, Ecuador, Costa Rica, Mexico, Canada, Jamaica, Vietnam, and more. Alex is absolutely obsessed with the healing power of mushrooms and has signed his life away to the bidding of the mushrooms. Nice way of putting it, Alex. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's a pleasure to to let mushrooms have the mic and and let them speak through me. As a as you know, I always joke I'm a mushroom, and um, they, there's so much wisdom that they have to offer humanity and beyond. And uh, it's an honor to be on a show to mm -hmm. to dive in and uh, hopefully inspire other people to be as passionate as uh, I am, and I'm sure you are about mushrooms. Yes, and if not necessarily as passionate about them in the, to the degree and to the um, spread, so to speak, or breadth that you are, the depth and breadth, uh, certainly to um, uh, the purpose, uh, a good part of this, at least our specific conversation today is to help educate people on the fact that most of us, uh, it's, you know, we, we barely know anything about uh, what fungi in general, um, as well as psilocybin mushrooms in particular, can do. And uh, I skimmed through, I watched much of and skimmed through a bunch of uh, this YouTube video that you did, this three-hour-long YouTube video. What's it called again? Um, if you, if you type my name on YouTube, you can find a few and, oh, okay. you know, uh, various, uh, different, different classes that I've taught in the past, um, about mushrooms. And I'm sure I'll touch upon a lot of the same topics, but, you cool. know, I, I, and three hours is, is kind of a short amount of time to even scratch the surface of, of what fungi or fungi can offer this world. And, and we, 
as a species has, have barely even scratched the surface. Awesome. All the top researchers all around the world, if they were to link minds and share all the information, we would know a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of, of what there is oh, to know yeah. about fungi. And that's for everything, the whole universe. And we're just consciousness being conscious of consciousness itself and this inevitable exploration of the universe. And it's humbling to, to realize that we really don't know anything. And it's exciting to research such a field as mycology or the study of mushrooms or fungi because I feel like out of most fields, they are maybe more underdeveloped. Uh, at, you know, if you relate it to plants, we know it, we know a lot about plants, and most people know how to take care of a house plant or they have a garden in their backyard. But when it comes to mushrooms, people usually in the United States and Canada, and um, you know, if you're not in China or Eastern Europe. You'll probably think of mushrooms as the slimy mushrooms on your your pizza or the ones that'll kill you or ones that'll make you trip out like in Alice in Wonderland. And so this knowledge of what mushrooms are or what fungi are is, mm -hmm. is lacking. And it's almost like tapping into this secret knowledge that has been here for millions and millions, over a billion years. And that's an honor uh, to be in these human bodies and, and explore that. Yeah, well, I want to come back later in our conversation uh, to some of the things that mushrooms can do other than the obvious uh, edible and uh, to some degree are getting better known. Some of the you know ones like lion's mane, turkey tail, reiki and chaga are getting known, but there's a lot more that mushrooms can do. And also, um, uh, I think we've both read Merlin Sheldrake's book, uh, Entangled Life, which if, you know, I would say for 95% of the population at least, that would be a real eye-opener because the, the relationship of uh, fungi or fungi to everything and the fact that they are everywhere where they're ubiquitous they're underfoot all the time and they're in they're absolutely central to just physical existence on this planet whatsoever but let's save that for a little bit because <laughs> i want to start with some of your history but even before that i just wanted to with something that just occurred to me at the moment have you ever read and i'm t asking you this for a particular reason did you ever come upon um it's not listed by their names. It's Terence and Dennis McKenna's Magic Mushroom Growers Guide that they wrote under the names Oss and Auric back in the 70s. Yeah, that was great. Um, great little beginning guide. It, mm -hmm. A lot of the information is is pretty outdated, but I think it was pretty radical at, at the time to release that and I think was the, the seed or the spore which inoculated a lot mm -hmm. of people to begin home cultivating. And yeah. And to be able to have this medicine in their own hands, I think was super evolutionary. And it's interesting because if you relate this plant medicine or fungal medicine to most other plant medicines out there, it's one that I feel like is pretty universal. universal. Um, everywhere in the world, if you look, there's mm -hmm. probably a rich history, thousands of years old, of people using mushrooms and so other things like peyote there's you know it's only a subregion there's specific practices specific peoples that you know have specific traditions and um, ceremonies involved with mushrooms it's pretty universal and so for that it, it's kind of a medicine for the people uh, for humans and mm -hmm. to give that information to everyone uh, on how they can personally develop a deep relationship with, and it goes beyond psychedelics, like what Merlin Sheldrick's doing with his book, Entangled Life, and, and many other kind of huge fungal influencers. It's extraordinary to bridge that gap uh, between mm -hmm. this breadth of knowledge and the average person out there. Yeah, um, well, um, I, I brought up the McKenna's book for a reason, because um, I want to ask you if you remember 
something that was in it. Um, but um, I agree with what you just said, absolutely. I think we're on the cusp of an explosion of understanding of mushrooms. And um, uh, don't, don't, don't let's go off in this direction yet, please. But um, I just want to say that, uh, um, uh, you know, ayahuasca has been leading the way, so to speak, in terms of its, you know, po popular recognition and so on. But um, I, I won't be surprised at all if, if uh, mushrooms, uh, psilocybin mushrooms, if we're talking about visionary healing medicine in that regard, um, uh, leaps ahead, so to speak. Not that it's a competition, but, you know, within the next 10 to 20 years, because of what you're saying, because they're, they're ubiquitous, they're, they're a lot easier to produce than the, uh, at least two plants required for ayahuasca, etc., etc., etc. But anyway, coming back to the McKenna's Brothers book, um, there was a lovely, I don't know if you remember this or even paid attention to it, but at the very beginning of the book, there's a, like a little page and a half, two page thing that says something like, I'm the voice of the mushroom. I'm older than old and so on and so on like that. And the reason I mentioned in this context is it says, I'd like to offer you a deal. This is, this, I haven't read this for a long time. This is just my, you know, kind of, you know, summary of what I remember. Um, not exact details, but uh, basically it's, it's a, uh, you know, I'd like to, you know, strike up a deal with you, a kind of a bargain or a contract. Um, uh, I can show you some things that you would, would amaze you. And in return, I don't, since I don't have a body like yours on a planet like yours, I get to look out through your eyes. Um, so, you know, the implication being that there's a wonderful relationship awaiting us in that regard, uh, which also can benefit the mushroom spirit, if you want to call it that. But coming back to, uh, uh, you know, where I'd like to go with this, if, uh, if you're okay with this is, uh, and well, you are, we've already talked about that. Um, I think a good starting point uh, for the rest of our conversation would be how you got, uh, as you say yourself, obsessed with mushrooms. You mentioned, uh, you've mentioned to me, and it's briefly referenced in that bio that I read, that uh, you were having some struggles as a kid. And rather than me say anything more about that, why don't you tell people what that was all about? Sure. And I, I want to thank the McKenna's as well. They were a big part of that journey. Um, but yeah, I had a I'd say a pretty great childhood um, on the outside uh, and, you know, loving parents, um, everything checked the boxes, but for whatever reason, you know, I had a deep spell of depression that started when I was, I don't know, around 14 or so and could never really figure out why um, on the external, everything was great. Um, but with just just these deep spells of, of clinical depression and and during certain points was suicidal uh, and use various you know drugs such as alcohol or weed to suppress that and uh, escape from those feelings and it wasn't until orientation week of college where, someone offered me a full solo cup worth of dried psilocybin mushrooms. And at that point, I, I hadn't taken them. I've heard of them, but I wasn't really familiar of what a dose was or, you know, uh, had no personal experience with magic mushrooms up to that point. And thinking he was going to, you know, sell them to me. I said, well, how much for the, the cup worth? And he said, oh, well, I'll give you the whole solo cup if you eat it on the spot. Do you have any and idea at, what, in retrospect, uh, the, what the dried weight of that would have been roughly? I feel like it was over 14 grams Whoa. at that point. It was, it was a, a major heroic dose. And it was definitely way more than than someone should take on their first time. And that, you know, some people have a very gentle meet and greet with, with the spirit of mushrooms. My first time, it was a flying kick to break down the door. And the whole journey was incredible. It I felt amazing. And it was the first time that I had this deep feeling that I got it. And mm. I 
felt happy for the first time, deep core happiness for the first time in many years. Hmm. And everything just made sense. And it wasn't something that I could articulate, although I tried. Uh, it just, every atom of my body felt at home. It sounds felt, like you were able to surrender to such a huge dose in a way that perhaps a lot of people might not be able to. Yeah, and I think, you know, during some experiences where I felt suicidal, there was points where I came to the re realization, well, you know, if I'm this close to death, I might as well be open to life. Mm. It's an interesting phenomenon that happens where maybe you have a near-death experience. And so everything after a near-death experience is that much more sacred and that much more juicy, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I was like, well, I, I could be dead right now. And so why not be open to this? And what am I, what am I so scared of? Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, some might say that's, oh, sorry. some might say that's a little reckless, but it, it was an incredible journey. It, you know, complete ego death. It uh, was no concept of me still there. No body was seeing or experiencing the life and death of the universe before my eyes every couple seconds. And uh, was, yeah, one one with the universe. Uh, a little Satari moment, and from that moment, it had this kind of earmark in my consciousness of, wow, mushrooms are incredible. After that night, I was on some pharmaceutical drugs for depression, anxiety. I flushed them down the toilet, never looked back. I got into yoga and meditation and healthy eating. I still had you know, a few months I had to work out a lot of the bad habits and get off drinking and uh, change my relationship to tobacco. And I bought every single mushroom book that I could. And I went out into the woods every day to try to ID mushrooms. And I forged so many that they would rot before I can ID them all on the table and, um, and took every class, every internship and, you know, did this interesting study where I grew oyster mushrooms on cigarette butts as this this symbology of me being able to end my addiction with tobacco uh, through mushrooms and then using mushrooms to degrade the toxins of the cigarette butts. And so it was this full circle metamorphosis. And they just had me hooked. And it wasn't until, you know, I was studying all these different things at the same time, but that was pretty paramount. Um, it wasn't until I got Lyme disease uh, where I was bedridden. I was, had painful joints, had brain fog. I was feeling absolutely like trash and I tried everything. I tried doxycycline. I tried, you know, the typical pharmaceutical route to treat, uh, Lyme disease. And it wasn't until I used psilocybin mushrooms to get at the root of what is a parasite. And how can I help myself on a spiritual and psychological level to heal uh, Lyme as almost like an initiation process from the universe as this is an initiation where we're going to give you an illness and it's up to you to self-cure yourself. And that is the medicine. Uh, and in using different functional mushrooms, like you j just talked about, like reishi and cordyceps and chaga and things like that, where I totally saw a 180 with my health, I got my life back. Uh, that That's what spurred me to get my degree in mycology from school. I wrote uh, the micro-remediation book, Using Mushrooms to Clean Up Toxic Waste. And from there, it was history. I signed my, way, my life away to, to mushrooms and fungi and never looked back.
Yeah, well, it's wonderful work, uh, as far as I can tell. I, as I said, I did watch a good portion of that uh, video, and I want to that YouTube video that I mentioned, and I want to ask you a little bit more about some of the other things that mushrooms can do. But before we get into that, because that could take up quite a bit of our conversation, I just want to ask you if there, uh, if uh, before we leave the psilocybin ones more or less uh, for this conversation, just want to ask you two more things about them. One is. Um, how do you, if you do, how do you see them informing your spiritual growth now? Like, do you have an ongoing relationship with the psilocybin mushrooms? And how do you, what are they teaching you now, if that's the case? It's an interesting relationship where I've done them so many times that I'm less of an exploratory relationship with them and more of a tune-up relationship mm. and so my beginning journeys were just exploring the space and and really understanding what mushrooms are that will never go away i'll never understand what mushrooms are you know that the mushroom space that's a continual journey but i almost know before i eat mushrooms what they'll teach me uh so to speak and for me it really was the the nail on the coffin, so to speak, or the the straw on the camel's back, or whatever metaphor you want to use, where I was, you know, setting up a ceremony. I was talking with the spirit of the mushrooms, and I was setting my intentions of what I wanted to bring in my life, what I wanted to let go of, and different things that I wanted to work on in the space. And the spirit of the mushrooms was like, all right do this, do this, do this, let go of that, talk to this person, X, Y, Z. It's like, oh, wow, great. And, you know, I ate the mushrooms and it's like, wow, this is going to be a great, really productive journey and silence for hours. And I didn't, I didn't quote unquote feel anything. And I checked back in with, you know, the spirit of the mushrooms. I'm like, Hey, you know, I, not really feeling anything, you know, uh, I thought we were going to have a, you know, productive session and, and they're like, Oh, we already did it. You know, uh, even before you ate the mushrooms, we already, I already gave you a to-do list, like go out in the world and do it. If, you know, if uh, one word that I learned in the ayahuasca community is called fireworks and I'm sure a lot of different people in the psychedelic community call, um, this fireworks, but it's like the, the visuals and the psychedelic experience, so to speak. A lot of people are searching for the fireworks. They want to see flashy lights and color distortion and all these cool trippy things. And it's almost distractions from the real journey. And, and that was huge for me of them just telling me like, look, psilocybin or magic mushrooms is just a tool but you can tune into us whenever you want and the medicine is always there psilocybin the molecule will work on your brain and and help and i i almost use it as a microdose now to just kind of keep my system in check and have a slight you know uh perceptive uh different angle on on the world and and uh, help my mood and things like that and, and every once in a while I'll have a check-in a bigger dose if I've been working a lot and and uh, not checking into myself not in my meditation yoga routine I'm I'm not looking at at certain things in my life that I should be looking at uh, or certain traumas will come up and you're like oh this needs a little more work and so I'll have a bigger dose and have a, a full-on ceremony. But, but I, and this is true for everyone. You know, you can talk to plants, you can talk to mushrooms, and the magic is beyond the magic mushrooms. All mushrooms are magic, and you can tune in and get a lot of great insight about your life and the universe from from any mushroom and any anything, even if it's inanimate. Um, the world. You know, uh, we are the universe and everything is just a reflection of ourselves uh, that we can learn from. Everything is a teacher. 
So um, I wouldn't just limit limit your uh, your medicine journey to to just quote unquote plant medicines or fungal medicines. I think there's a huge world of medicine of of everything uh, in the in the universe. Yeah. That's great. No, really well put, Alex. I really appreciate uh, hearing that. Uh, and there is a couple of points that, that you've said there that really stuck out for me that I think are important for a lot of people. And one is that it's not about, you know, the light show or whatever, you know. Um, uh, I, um, I work with cannabis a lot and I lead cannabis ceremonies and I've written about it and so on with my book, Cannabis and Spirituality. And uh, lately I've been getting the, um, the message from the spirit of the plant is that there's no there that there. Um, ideally, when you when you understand cannabis properly um, as a spiritual ally, it's just entering you a little deeper into reality. It's not taking you off on some sidetrack, right? Um, and and ultimately, yeah, it's just we as you as you've put so nicely. I think we already have uh, we already are as the buddhists would say we are all buddha we're all awake the word buddha just means awake or one who is awakened right um so uh, that was really good i appreciate that and also the other thing that i think is really important that um most of us don't really understand that you alluded to is that once you've established uh, a really strong relationship with a, a, fung a fungus like uh, psilocybin or some other of similar um, um, medicines um the, the the medicine the, the spirit of that plant is with you right it's you don't have to necessarily be taking it uh to have that connection right right and yeah. also true with cultivation you know is every step of the journey if you are to grow your own for consumption mm -hmm. that whole ceremony starts the second you receive the spores you know, yes. and then and then you and you knock you germinate the spores. The mycelium grows. You you know uh, put it into a container to grow. It, it's growing. You're taking care of the mushrooms. You dry them or eat them fresh. Afterwards, the integration process. These are all super valuable points of the process that I think maybe doesn't get as much. Um, recognition and most people want to look at the fireworks or the light show and and that's it and then the next day they'll hop on a plane or go to New York City or whatever and forget the whole integration process or the set and setting leading up to it um, it's it's all part of the journey and and all part of our great awakening to realize we're we're already awake we're already here <laughs> yeah. that's that's really important too i'm really glad you said that as well because i think i mean we don't want to get too sidetracked on that general theme i think but it, but it's really important for people to recognize that we uh, we of the so-called first world, if you want to call it that, and especially, you know, if you have uh, enough money to get by, you're not, you know, worried about putting food on the table every single day of your life, like so many are, um, we are... Um, in a sense, being entertained to death, and uh, we've treated the world as a as a source, you know, as a as a candy store in a way, and that's that's another whole problem in itself. But people are used to things being commodities for them, and you know, th things that they can pick up like a candy bar at the store, you know, and just consume a consume a consuming a society, you know. And as you say, it's a totally different uh, uh, the sane, healthy, and sustainable relationship with these medicines with life altogether. Is it is a relationship Relationship. It's an ongoing relationship. Uh, um, there's an institute called Chakruna Institute in California, which is really pushing the whole reciprocity idea toward the medicines, toward the places where they grow, toward the people whose traditions they come from and all that. So I really appreciate your addressing that one. Um, uh, you probably have something to say about that, but um, and you can if you want. But I also want to ask you. Uh, uh, this has been great to hear these uh, you know, points on psilocybin. Oh, actually, you know what? Let's do one more on psilocybin. Um, sure. Uh, before we get into, I want to ask you about the work that you're doing with Mushroom Revival Incorporated and so on. But uh, um, we alluded to this in our, our sort of pre-conversation that we had uh, a few days ago, uh, um, and I asked you if you had any thoughts about what if there is a the best or or the better 
ways that uh, psilocybin mushroom in particular uh, could take this rightful place that I envision and we envision that within 10, 20 years they will have. But, you know, what are the best ways that that they could enter further into, um, uh, you know, a more accepted legal use for a variety of purposes? Are there concerns about, you know, wrong tracks? Are there good ways to go, etc.? Yeah, let me give a brief history of psilocybin as a whole to kind of give context to what I am going to say, because for most people, they don't understand what magic mushrooms are or what psilocybin containing mushrooms are um, as a whole. And so to really understand that, we have to go back in time, you know, 3.5 billion years ago where we see cyanobacteria arriving on land um, about two two and a half billion years after that we get the first record of fungi I ever found and I'm, I'm sure we'll find fungi that are much older um, that's just the most recent uh, oldest discovery um, 700 million years ago we get lichen and that was the first symbiotic land organism between cyanobacteria and a few types of fungi they have they develop into early plants and mycorrhizal fungi which are fungi connecting to roots of early plants then you know at 420 million years ago we get arthropods or insects digging into the soil and starting to eat those plant roots and that mycelium connecting the plants psilocybin the theory goes that it it evolved as a defense mechanism against these arthropods or these insects eating these roots or uh, this mycelium and so these fungi when they they broke away from plants and started creating their own fruiting bodies as we call mushrooms today some of them contained psilocybin or you know, psilocybin in the mycelial networks, the roots of the mushrooms themselves. And they were used as a deterrent for insects for many, many hundreds of millions of years, way before humans ever came on the planet or or mammals. And they were used as a, a mechanism to control the behavior of insects. So when trees started growing and they fell down there's no organism that can break down lignin one of the hardiest chemical structures on the planet fungi it took a little bit but they figured out how to degrade lignin Um, but other compounds such as cellulose hemicellulose you know other insects like to burrow in trees and like to burrow in uh, organic matter and eat uh, that woody material Fungi was trying to use psilocybin as a chemical as chemical warfare against these insects, and so there's this phenomenon that happens in a lot of communities. I hear of people thinking, "Well, nature made magic mushrooms for humans," mm-hmm. and you know, there's this theory by Terence and Denna McKenna of uh, of uh, you know, the stoned ape theory. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's true in, in a theory, I'm not, not debunking it, but there's a a really fascinating history that I, I don't think is told a lot. Whereas, um, the beginning of why there were psilocybin mushrooms to begin with and, it was really our early humanoid ancestors evolving to be able to consume psilocybin. And when we left Ethiopia and we're moving further north, we there's less sunlight, um, less serotonin, and psilocybin works on the serotonin system and helps. You know, it's almost like a happy drug. And for us as early humanoids, this is huge. Uh, to bring into colder climates and to store in honey and and uh, to work with uh, psilocybin-containing mushrooms as we travel to places with less sunlight and harsher environments where it might be 
harsher on our own, you know, mental, emotional uh, states and our serotonin levels. So we actually evolve to be able to ingest psilocybin and uh, the chemical keys work perfectly inside of our brains. And that is in an evolution of fungi to match us. It's our evolution to match fungi. And we share over 50% of our DNA with fungi and they're our old ancestor, you know? Uh, so there are old family members that we said, so to speak, hey, if we're going to evolve further, uh, we need to evolve ourselves to match uh, with psilocybin mushrooms and, and other things as well. And so that's the theory of, you know, um, stoned ape theory, our early ancestors, hunter, hunters and gatherers ate magic mushrooms, uh, the um, effects of neurogenesis helped us evolve as a species. And we see cave paintings for thousands and thousands of years. The oldest recorded human uh, with spores in her teeth, the Red Lady of El Moran in 17,000 BC was found with spores of mushrooms in her teeth. And so we have a deep history with mushrooms all across the globe. Um, and it went from cave paintings to starting to document it in books a couple thousand years ago in China, in traditional Chinese medicine. Um, and then from, you know, 1900s until now, we're starting to isolate compounds and use them into drugs. And in 2017, the top 10 fungal-derived pharmaceuticals, they were bringing in $30 billion in, in 2017, just 10 uh, fung fungal-derived medicines. Penicillin is one of them saving hundreds of millions of people's lives. And so that context, it brings a different awareness of what psilocybin is and what our relationship with this mushroom is. And, you know, there's a lot of people in this space that I've seen with a, you know, they cashed out in the cannabis business and they're looking to cash big in the psilocybin space. And I can see how people can have a hard time with that. I think out of anything to really capitalize on, I think it can maybe have the biggest amount of benefit uh, for the biggest amount of people. If, if you're going to mass produce something, um, I can see the spirit of psilocybin kind of laughing at it and be like, well, we're getting into more people and, and changing this, <laughs> this mass consciousness. And so, so be it. Um, I think regardless of how we structure it, I, I don't, I don't agree with with making it illegal uh, for people to cultivate their own or ingest their own. I do think there needs to be some structure for people that, you know, have end of life care that are dealing with OCD or uh, addiction that they can go to a clinic and they can have a session with a trained professional and who are really trained with set and setting and any adverse reactions and, and really bring people through this journey. I think that's really important to set up and also have it decriminalized. So anyone can do whatever they want with nature as long as they're not jeopardizing themselves and other people. Uh, but yeah, we're starting to see it. And surprisingly, there's a lot of places in the world where it is fully legal. The Bahamas, uh, Brazil, Jamaica, Nepal, Samoa are 100% are legal for psilocybin mushrooms. Mm -hmm. There's other places like the Netherlands where it's only legal as a truffle. And that kind of skirts the laws a little bit. And there's other places where the laws are a little finicky. You know, British Virgin Islands, it's it's legal to cultivate and possess, but you can't sell. And other places like you're in Canada, you can buy and sell grow kits, um, but you can't actually grow them. Yeah. <laughs> and other places like spores, the spores of mushrooms are legal mm -hmm. to sell, but the second you germinate them, 
it's illegal. S South Africa has the same thing. You can buy and sell grow kits. And, you know, Iceland, it's only illegal when you dry it. But if it's fresh, then it's totally legal. And, you know, um, there's tons of places that just don't have any regulation whatsoever. And then other places, Laos, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, they're technically illegal, but they just don't enforce it. And similar in Mexico, it's technically illegal, but there's some wiggle room for indigenous use. And in the, the U.S., we've actually gotten a lot of different states and cities decriminalized. Oakland, Ann Arbor, Denver, Santa Cruz, Washington, D.C., are all decriminalized right now uh, as of December 22nd, 2020. And then Oregon just passed for medical purposes. And, you know, I, I am a little worried of people patenting certain processes and, and you know, um, or for, you know, certain compounds, just like we saw with cannabis, you know, big pharmaceutical companies making drugs with them and not allowing um, people to have access. And yeah. so as long as there is decriminalization and the average Joe, especially, you know, marginalized communities, people of color and, and people with strong, you know, ancestral use of mushrooms to be able to use that in ceremony is huge. And to be able to access it cheaply is huge because ayahuasca, you know, it can be expensive for people to say fly to Peru and, and pay for a whole ceremony, or if it's in the US to pay for, you know, a ceremony. Uh, and then these plants, they if they're not, you know, they take so long to grow and, and they can be endangered if overused. Same with peyote, they're, you know, they take forever to grow and they're endangered. And, and it's, it, with mushrooms, you can grow an extraordinary amount for super, super cheap. And so to have that in the hands of the average person is, is huge. And then also to have clinical settings for people who, you know, they don't feel comfortable doing it in their own home or they don't have someone to trip sit with them. Um, and they, they feel safe in, in a clinical setting with a trained psychologist or, or someone to help them through whatever trauma or whatever they're dealing with. And so I think a mix of both and I don't have the magic answer of, of what that would look like. I'm sure we'll figure it out as we go along, as, as we see with cannabis. Some things work and some others don't. And so we can get better as we go. Um, yeah, good points. No, well well put. Uh, I've, I've asked the right person that question. You've <laughs> certainly been paying attention to what's going on around the world with these mushrooms. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I think it's important for those of us uh, impatient, like I sometimes get myself, I just get you know fed up like, oh, come on, folks, no brainer. We have good medicines here. They do great work. Let's just get on with it, please. You know, that's the idealistic part of my brain. Um, but uh, I was interviewing uh, Dr. Julie Holland recently, who has a new book called Good Chemistry. Uh, the uh, what is it uh, the science of uh, I forget what it is so from soul to psychedelics or something like that science of connection from soul to psychedelics and uh, we were talking about that issue and she said yeah it's important for people to realize that you know with cannabis for example and some of the other medicines as well that we're, it's it's a phase you know they're they're newly becoming uh, destigmatized and legally sanctioned and so on and so on so you know it's going to get better and so uh, that was an excellent answer. Uh, <clears throat> you know, kind of open-ended, but, uh, but, uh, but clear as well. So thanks for that. And, um, you know, before we uh, get too, you know, too far gone here and feel like we need to round it up at some point, I, d I definitely want to know about uh, the work you've been doing with uh, Mushroom Revival Inc. Because um, when I watched that, uh, that video, I, I, as I say, I skimmed some of it, but the, you know, I, I usually just kind of skipped ahead three or four minutes to see if it was still talking about the same subject so I could get an overview of the different kinds of things and I was really impressed with the different kinds of uses that uh, you know that 
you and others are finding for mushrooms. Now we're getting away from the psilocybin mushrooms, but you know, like replacements for leather. I mean, if I, if we could, if I could get my hands on some um, some fungal bacon, my wife loves bacon. It's part of her family history. You know, they they're European. You know, they like sausages and fatty meats and all that kind of stuff, and she loves bacon. But if if I could get her to tune into something that's uh, that's as tasty and similar in taste, you know, then it's made from a mushroom and not from a pig in a farm, then that would be wonderful. So could you go through some of the um, really potentially revolutionary uh, uses that mushrooms can uh, be put to, uh, you know, in the years ahead? Let's start with mushroom bacon. Uh, there's this <laughs> company, our, our friends at Ecovative made a company called At Last Food. And they made, I think their first product was a, a mushroom bacon. And the faux meat industry, you know, I've been vegetarian, vegan on and off for for most of my life. I'll, I, I view meat as a supplement. And if I'm looking to get that that heme iron or, or uh, other supplements, I'll, I'll eat meat every once in a while, but um, definitely not part of my, my normal diet. And so, you know, to, to help a, a lot of faux meat is made out of soy and it's not that much better for the environment. We see, you know, I was firsthand seeing it in Ecuador, just, just thousands and thousands of acres of rainforest, the most biodiverse places in the world being clear-cutted for cow and soy. And, you know, I, I like tofu and, and soy is, is great as, you know, and, and tempeh I think is, is cool when it's done on a small scale. Uh, but on a mass scale, the way we're doing it, you know, with a lot of chemicals and clear-cutting uh, biodiverse rainforests is not the most ideal. And so these replacements for faux meat is is revolutionary and they're also doing something they're making structures for cell-based meat and this creates the exact texture with all the micro or micro caverns and dips and gullies and and custom shapes of what a typical uh, big cut of meat would would feel like and 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 uh, taste like the texture and everything right now it's a lot of ground meat and so that is really pushing the limit of uh our reliance on actual animals and and kind of flipping the script on that so that's number one i think just eating more mushrooms in in general they're filled with so many amazing nutrients one of them being vitamin d3 and for you know uh uh people with with not an, a, a lot of melanin and living in in higher elevation climates where there's not a lot of sun a lot of people have a lack of vitamin d and it's huge for our mental health and you know i was just living in massachusetts i moved to austin texas where there's a lot more sun but i was using a happy lamp uh trying to get more artificial sunlight. And I thought it was the funniest thing ever and having to artificially stimulate this sunlight. You know, there's so many people living in offices on their computer screen all day, not getting uh, the vital nutrients from nature, from, from the sun. And so there are some mushrooms like shiitake and even button mushrooms that you get from the store, they can shine UV light or just leave them outside it can increase the vitamin D content by 50,000 times. And so this can, this is huge and is marketed as a vitamin D supplement. Let me get um, that straight. Little... Are you suggest, are you saying that you would put the mushrooms in the sun and they would absorb the D3 from the sun? Yeah, they have a, they have a, a metabolism process where they actually create it. Uh, so Ooh. it's really interesting and, and I'm seeing more and more companies actually, you know, blend it into a powder and and having like vitamin D enriched food that's vegan. It's mm. it's from a, a sustainable source. Yeah, wonderful. Where we focus on with mushroom revival is functional mushrooms, and so 
mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps for health and well-being, for our immune system, supporting our immune systems, our natural stress response from from daily stress, uh, you know, energy levels. One of the things that gave my energy back with Lyme disease was this mushroom called cordyceps. And for people that don't know cordyceps, it's a crazy mushroom that actually grows on bugs in the wild. And you can look it up if you YouTube um, BBC Planet Earth cordyceps. You can see a little video of a mushroom popping out of an ant's head. And it's this weird sci-fi mushroom that grows on all these different insects all across the world. One in particular is Ophiocordyceps sinescence that grows in Tibet. And this is worth its weight in gold. And it's hasn't really been figured out how to grow or cultivate it indoors. So people will climb to really high elevations in Tibet and try to find it in the grass. And it's really, really small. Um, there's a cousin here in the US and, and all over the world called Corsus militaris. And it's this orange little Cheeto mushroom that grows on a moth larva. And it has a lot of the same compounds, such as cordycepin, adenosine, um, and, and like compounds, which actually work on our ATP production in our body, adenosine triphosphate, which is our food for our mitochondria. It's our natural energy source for a body. And so this really helped me get my energy back with, with my Lyme disease when I was bedridden, just sapped of energy. Uh, and then lion's mane, the notorious brain mushroom for nerve growth factor, reishi with a lot of triterpenes for, uh, you know, so many mushrooms out there for health and well-being. The, the next kind of stage of that is, is pharmaceuticals. And for the last thousand years or so, or last hundred years or so, we've been isolating a lot of compounds from fungi. Penicillin is a prime example, uh, which has saved hundreds of millions of people's lives. Cyclosporin A, if, if you've had an organ transplant, you've probably been administered cyclosporin A from tolipocladium um, and flatum. And this is a drug that, that helps su actually suppress your immune system for your body to accept the organ and not reject it. There's a million types of drugs, like statin drugs, for example, are derived from fungi. PSK uh, is, is a notorious drug um, that is used in cancer therapies in Japan. And so many others are derived from fungi, way more than you would expect. And in that kind of field of thought, fungi yeasts are notorious in people's everyday lives. And I don't think people realize how often they consume yeast from our bread wine, cheese, beer, what, you know, there's a million things where yeast plays a huge role. And I've seen people eat a sandwich, drinking a beer, telling me they hate mushrooms. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's funny, you know, um, and we have, you know, our own, a lot of people like to say, you know, our, our gut is our, our second brain, our second immune system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 90% uh, of our serotonin is in our gut. We talk about our probiotics, our microbiome, but, you know, there's some prime researchers developing our understanding of our microbiome and the amount of fungi that are benefiting our body. We have even up to 80 species of fungi in our mouths. You know, and in our guts, there's so many on our skin, there's so many types of fungi. And so really harnessing that and and uh, and having a healthy microbiome and an and understanding of that will be crucial for for years ahead. And fungal enzymes, so the metabolites, the secondary metabolites from fungi are used in dozens of multi-billion dollar industries, from agriculture to um actually making jeans and making denim, uh, leather, uh, making, you know, f drugs and, and digestive enzymes and, um, and 
in in micro remediation, using them to degrade toxic waste in our environment, you know, toxins that no other organism or chemical can break down. So that's huge. For Superfund sites, we have an over accumulation of toxic waste on our planet, and it's up to us to break it down and clean up our waste. And along that note, some of the work that you know, people like Merlin Sheldrick are doing is on mycorrhizal fungi or endophytic fungi, the fungi in relationship with plants. And we wouldn't have plants if it wasn't for fungi. And so understanding that so we can help our, our agricultural businesses and our forests become healthier and become less reliant on chemical you know, herbicides or insecticides or fertilizers, and we can naturally build back our soil, store carbon in the soil, and um, regain a healthy ecosystem. And another part of that, similar to cordyceps, they're in a genus called entomopathogenic fungi, which are just fungi that attack insects, basically. And you can think of all the pests that are damaging to agricultural uh, plants. And if we can use a fungi instead of a chemical to help control these insect pests, that, that can be huge for our environment. And also other insects like malaria carrying mosquitoes. We, you know, I know a researcher working to help attack those specifically mosquitoes carrying malaria without using toxic chemicals or ticks carrying Lyme disease. And so helping the spread of these diseases is fundamental for our evolution and our safety as an organism, as a species moving forward, as, as we saw with coronavirus, something biological or, you know, a disease can, can wipe out massive amounts of our population and to partner with fungi uh, and you know other natural systems to be able to counteract that is is extremely fundamental um, our ex exploration for space uh, there's a lot of researchers using melanized fungi that were discovered in Chernobyl, actually, in, in super toxic radioactive spaces. They found fungi thriving and eating only the radiation in these spaces. And so they they found, wow, why don't we use these in space on the International Space Station? And, and you know, if we're going to go to Mars and other spaces to protect astronauts from the harmful UV radiation in space. And even on Earth, you know, uh, as our ozone layer is deteriorating, making new sunscreens uh, that are infused with these melanized fungi that are more natural than than the the sunscreens that we have today. These are just the tip of the icebergs of what fungi can do, and I think because they're so universal and can touch every aspect of our lives, it's fundamental that we protect biodiversity of our ecosystems. We have discovered a mere maybe 2.4% of known species of fungi. And that's just an estimate. You know, we just had a researcher come on our show talking about marine fungi. And I think if we include the fungi in the oceans, I think it's a 0.000001% that we've discovered because we've only discovered 5% of, of life in oceans or the oceans in general. Hmm. And we're finding fungi in deep, deep ocean beds and they are ex extremophiles. And what's interesting is they carry these metabolites and these compounds that can revolutionize every single industry that you can think of.
and well, do I it. Think this is a this is a, a good word to use, you know. And if you don't mind my cutting in for a moment, because you, you know, I can tell that you could go on for hours on this because you are a walking encyclopedia of knowledge on these issues. And uh, and so I just want to pick up on that word that you just used and uh, confirm or agree with you that I I think it's very exciting. We're we're potentially on the cusp of a revolution uh, here that's uh, central to the sustainability of life in the future. Um, uh, and it's and it's it's also embedded within a larger or overarching um, uh, kind of cosmological understanding that we are in relationship to everything. And this is, I think, if I may say so, the key to um, a sustainable, sustainable, um, sane future on this planet, uh, that we, we, we need to recognize that we're embedded within these incredible intelligent uh, intelligent processes and, and uh, you know, plants and so on and so on and so on. Um, so, um, you know, rather than, uh, you know, as you say, that's, you know, you've just given us a, you know, kind of a trailer to the immense possibilities of these. And so rather than go on and on about it, what I'd like to ask you at this point is to um, uh, direct people to other sources where they can learn more about these, those that want to, uh, and, and we can kind of wrap it up. Um, so, uh, are, do you have any particular um, links, sources, or anything you want to share that I, I can put little titles, you know, underneath this when I do the post on it? Uh, sure. We actually, I, I co-host a, a mushroom-centered podcast called the Mushroom Revival Podcast, where we have a different expert every week come on and and dive super deep on and all probably a lot of the topics that I touched upon today. And, you know, we have a video component as well. Merlin Sheldrick's book is a great start for people who like books, The Entangled Life. Um, Mycelium Running by Paul Stamets is also a great introductory book for people that want, you know, a, an introduction to the space of, of what mushrooms are and what they can do to help the planet. Apart from that, you know, if you have access to psilocybin mushrooms just meeting them firsthand and i'm sure you'll get an extraordinary experience of mushrooms that you can't read on the internet or in a book or listen to on a podcast or watch in a video it's it's real firsthand experience with mushrooms I'd like to remind people of uh, what you said at the beginning, which I supported and agreed with as well, is that, um, you know, it's not about, although, you know, I mean, what the hey, you know, if you want to, if you want colors and excitement, then, you know, who's to say not, you know, you can't do that, obviously, but yeah, you're, that's just the sort of uh, first level, so to speak, you know, um, um, uh, for example, I have a friend who's an ayahuasca. Um, she's been leading ayahuasca ceremonies for a long time. She's really sincere, really, you know, studies, studied it deeply and so on and so on. And, and she's, she's a very mystical kind of person. And she says, you know, with ayahuasca, the, uh, the visual stuff, that's just sort of like the ante room, you know, what's, what's, what the, the real teachings are, what's in behind that once you get through that, and then you encounter, you know, intelligence, you encounter, you know, educating spirit and so on and so on. Um, so I just would like to encourage any Anyone who's watching this or listening to it that uh, um, you know as again who's you know who's to say you know you can't have a, a sort of sensational experience but the real value of this and it's obviously not just for oneself it's for all of us which we you know that's another key issue is that we all need to be joining together now to save this planet we're past the flatland times on this planet we are into the time when we need to uh, roll up our sleeves as a group as a species and recognize that we have immense capabilities to change things you know and that has to happen now and so when 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 people that haven't experimented yet with mushrooms do so i would just like to encourage people you know again within a fairly wide you know, playing field to think about the fact that they can change your mind, they can dissolve your known, they can dissolve your ego. So be careful of the conditions that you take those in, you know, and especially if you're a particularly inward or sensitive kind of person, can be very helpful to have a guide or a reliable ceremonial context or that kind of thing. So um, uh, any other sources that, uh, that you'd like people to tune into? You mentioned, we mentioned your book at the beginning. What's it called again? My book is Micromediation Handbook, and you, we had it for free. We just did a website change, so we're trying to 
put it back up um, and you can get the free PDF, which you can read. Um, it's a little outdated. I'm working on another book on functional mushrooms in particular, um, but you said it actually in, in what you just said, how to change your mind. And I think that's a, an amazing book by Michael Pollan that oh. he just released for people that are, maybe are a little skeptical, maybe have, haven't worked with psilocybin mushrooms and, or maybe it's a good gift for a family member who's a little skeptical. I think he does a really beautiful job mm -hmm. at making it really accessible and safe and um, friendly uh, to, to the average person. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. When I read that book right away, I thought this is a game changer, this book, because of exactly what you said. He just paints himself as kind of the everyman, like, I don't know much about these things either, folks. And, you know, I had an ego dissolving experience. You too could do that, <laughs> was the implication there. Yeah. So, Alex, um, I, I think this is a good time to round it up, uh, you know, unless there's something that you feel like we've badly missed and just has to be said here. Of course, we could always do another one, you know, in six months or a year anyway, because um, I'm really impressed with your knowledge and you have an amazing memory for the, the names and the details of all these things. So it's uh, you're, you're a wonderful resource and you're engaged in some fantastic work as far as I'm concerned, as I said earlier, revolutionary. And so thanks a lot for sharing all that stuff. And uh, um, yeah, well, let's keep in touch. And um, uh, that's it. Stick around a little bit after I hit the record off, will you? And we'll just sure. tie up that way. So again, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on.